Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 24, verse 7. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Wisdom is too high for a fool because he is a fool. He is prideful and selfish. He is only concerned with life on the horizontal plane, himself, his stuff, his pleasures, and his experiences. Therefore, wisdom is above his head. He does not see it, nor does he recognize his need for it. Wisdom may also be too lofty for the fool because that is how he views it. He is lazy and wisdom is something to be pursued. To, to him it is too high, far out of his reach and unattainable. In his slothfulness he is not willing to go after wisdom or work for it. Therefore wisdom is and always will be too lofty for him. But what about opening his mouth in the gate? What, is, what does that mean? The gate of the city in ancient times was a meeting place for the leaders of the community. It was where decisions were made. Business transactions were conducted, legal disputes were settled, and criminal matters were judged. It was the wise men of the city who occupied the seats in the gate. The fool does not open his mouth in the gate, not because he has nothing to say. He does not speak because he is not called upon to do so. The fool would have plenty to say, but among the company of those who occupied seats in the gate, he is not welcome. And if he is present, he is not acknowledged. His foolishness precedes him. He is known as a fool. Now here is where we must take caution. It is far too easy for us to speak of fools as if they're someone from long ago, or those people out there. We think about the obvious fools of the world, or specific foolish people in our lives, and then we end up dismissing ourselves from the conviction of this verse. We are not them. We're not the fools. But if that is true, it is not because of anything we have done. It is because of the great love and mercy and grace of our God. He opened our eyes to see that wisdom was not too lofty because wisdom came down from heaven and made his dwelling among us. He opened our foolish hearts to receive his son, who according to Paul, became wisdom for us from God, and in whom all are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We cannot take credit for any wisdom we have because Jesus is our wisdom. We also cannot dismiss ourselves from this verse because all too often we still play the fool. We sin, and sin is foolishness. Listen to what James says about wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Wisdom from heaven is first pure. How many times this past week have our thoughts been impure? Then it is peaceable. How many times have we been argumentative? It is gentle. How often have we been harsh with our children? Wisdom is being willing to yield, but in what ways were we prideful or stubborn this past week? We could go on. Every characteristic of heavenly wisdom that James describes is an area in which we daily fall short. We sin, and sin is foolishness. But just because we sin does not mean we are fools. 
We, the children of God, are only fools if we do not open our mouths in the gate. Right now, right here, we are in the gate and in the presence of the judge of all the earth. But at his right hand is our Redeemer, our intercessor, our great high priest. And so we open our mouths and speak the only wise words we have, words of confession and repentance. If you are willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God. famous sayings of Jesus Christ, and we find it in Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. As you can tell from the verse itself, this is a summary. Jesus is giving us a summary of the Law and the Prophets. That's what this is the Law and the Prophets means. He's also reminding us of the theme of his entire sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Back in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus started the body of this message with the Law and the Prophets. We read, Do not think that I came to destroy the Law or the Prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. And then he goes on to expound to us what the law means. He did not come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And the therefore, on the front of our text this morning, the therefore, whatever you want to do, men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That therefore also clues us in to the fact that this command that Jesus is giving us here, the golden rule, is intricately connected. It's tied to Jesus' exposition of the law of the Old Testament given throughout the sermon. We can't just take this verse and do whatever we want with it. We have to look at it in the context, in the light of all the teachings he's been giving us throughout this sermon. This is, this is his, his wrap-up of the sermon. Righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees is what Jesus has been teaching us that the law means. He starts out saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And then he says, well, this is what the law is. Righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So then he gives us a bunch of things that are examples of this. He says, the, the reinterpretations of the law. He says, you know, murder, that's bad, yes. But anger is tantamount to murder. And he moves all the way through those and he climaxes at love your enemies. So that's what Jesus means when he says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
He says, the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees is prayers, generosity, and fasting that flow from faith and not done for the sake of pride or hypocrisy. Genuine faith, genuine worship, genuine prayer, genuine good deeds, genuine piety is, is, is righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The next thing he says about the law and the prophets in the Sermon on the Mount is that seeking heavenly riches is opposed to, to seeking earthly ones. Jesus says that your neighbor is of more value than gold. Your neighbor is of more value than gold. Don't criticize your neighbor. Lovingly assist him. And finally, he gives us the, the example of our Father in Heaven. He tells us to pray. He says, your Father in Heaven knows how to give good gifts and loves to do so. That's the example that we are supposed to follow. So as soon as he tells us that about our Father, who knows how to give good, good gifts and loves to do so, he, he exceeds good fathers on earth who are evil by comparison. Then he tells us this, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Be like God. So what exactly is the principle Jesus teaches us in the Golden Rule? What, what's the principle there, if we're going to break it down? It's this. God designed us and our world for reciprocity. It's a big word. God designed us and our world for reciprocity. And essential to the idea of reciprocity is humility. We must look outside of ourselves. We must forget ourselves. God created us to live in His world. He created us to live in community with other people. All of us are born into families. All of us live in contact with other people, with men that Jesus tells us to do unto them as we would have them do unto us. So God designed our world for reciprocity, and that means that obedience to God's prescribed will, obedience to the law and the prophets, is reciprocal. God cares about us, and because He cares about us, we must care about others. He, he, he made us in His image. You see that? He made us. And then he cared about us. And then in his image, if we are going to obey his law and his prophets, his prescribed will, then we will be concerned about those outside of ourselves. And of course, Jesus, throughout this sermon, we see that this principle of reciprocity is readily apparent. And when Jesus tells us how to pray, he says, when we pray for forgiveness, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, or those who trespass against us. That's, that's reciprocal. Forgive us as we forgive others. God will forgive us as we forgive others. Judging is reciprocal. He says, judge not that you be not judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And here in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now this principle requires empathy. It, it forces us, it forces us to consider and perceive what other people think, what other people feel, what their perspective on the situation is, what their concerns are, to, to, to think about things from their point of view. And, and then, not only are we supposed to think about what other people feel and think about what, how other people perceive their situation, we're called, we're called to then desire their blessing, their benefit, just like we do for ourselves. Just, it's natural for us to do this for ourselves. We always want our benefit. We're always seeking our good. That's, that's, that's the way God made us. That's the way he designed us. And it teaches us how we are supposed to look well upon others. And then this empathy is to be followed by action. We cannot separate it out to this mental realm. We cannot just leave it there, where we're just thinking about other people all the time. While that's good and necessary, a necessary first step, it must be followed by action. Because Christianity is not Gnostic. It's not just about knowing the right answers. Christianity is not just mental. It's not just a heart faith or something that happens on our insides. It's not good enough simply to know what is good for our neighbor. That's not enough. We must have a faith that works. A faith that gets, gets down and dirty. That will reach out. Jesus' command is positive. He's commanding us to, to be active in serving our neighbor. So once we determine what is our neighbor's best interest, we are then charged, given a command, to perform it, to do it. Our text, again. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Do it. Put your faith to work. Now, as I said at the very beginning of my sermon, this is a famous saying. This, this saying is widespread. In fact, it's probably one of the most famous sayings of Jesus ever. And one of the most well-known quotes from the Bible. It's the golden rule. Everybody knows it. We all grew up with moms and teachers or coaches and pretty much anybody who was in charge of a peer group who drilled this into our heads. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Remember that. Think about it. Constantly, whoever's given the position of responsibility that, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a mantra. You have to drill that into those kids. They have to know this. In, in adjudicating disputes at home, how often do we ask our own kids, would you like it if he or she did that to you? Well, that's the application right there. Would you like that? No. No, no, I wouldn't like that. Well, then don't do it to them. 
Right? That's, that, that's a common refrain in our homes as we're raising our kids. It's a common refrain in schools, in, in community groups, on the playground. Would you like that if they did it to you? Then don't do it to them. Apply it. There are other forms of the golden rule also. The silver rule. The silver rule is the negative of the golden rule. So the golden rule is whatever you have others do unto you, do also unto them. The silver rule is whatever you don't want others to do to you, that's what I just, the example I just gave, whatever you don't want others to do to you, don't do it to them. That's the silver rule. And then there's the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is do unto others whatever they would want to be done to them. Get that? Do unto others whatever they would want to be do, done unto them. That's the platinum rule. But they're all variations on the same thing. And the value of this truth has been recognized across the ages and across cultures. Mankind has an innate attraction to truth. God, does, God designed us with this huge gaping hole in us that yearns to be filled. And what we need is Him. That's what we need to fill the gap. God designed us that way. We have this, when we hear the truth, it resonates with us. It sticks with us. It's like, yes, yes, amen. That's the truth. Like, you know, you can, you can bank on that. Well, this principle is about the closest that mankind can come without actually getting there. Outside of Jesus Christ, outside of uh, Christianity, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the closest that the world religions come to what God teaches as the law and the prophets. Do unto others as they would, as you would have them do unto you. The greatest, the wisest, the sagest, the best, all can agree on this simple, basic tenet. Every one of the major religions of the world and all ethical systems have some equivalent of this teaching or this saying in them, somewhere. There's an aspect of this that you can find in them. Hindus, Muslims, Eastern religions, secular humanitarians, Jews, and Christians can all agree on treating others as you would like to be treated, that that is the basis for justice, fairness, and equality. That's the basis. How would you like to be treated? Go and do likewise. It's the ethical golden rule, the ethical gold standard. So any wise government, ruler, or judge must take this principle into account because it is the golden rule for a reason. Another way is, is to describe it as the gold standard of justice, equity, and fairness. It's the law. It's the summary of everything God told us in, in the Old Testament. In His revelation of what He would have us do is to do this this golden rule, this golden standard. 
to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. So now we come to the problems. I mean, this is all great stuff. This is the truth. This is what God tells us to do. Now, what's the problem? Well, what prevents the successful application of the Golden Rule? What gets in the way? I mean, if we have the gold standard for justice, if the vast majority of societies can all agree that the Golden Rule is the gold standard for justice and equity, then why do we have all the problems in the world? Society has already decided, look, if you want to be treated that way, you treat people that way. Let's just make all the laws based on that. Then we can have a good society. What's the problem? And the answer, in one word, is sin. That's the problem. Sin is the problem. And it makes total sense. Sin is the problem. It makes total sense because Jesus tells us that the golden rule is the summary of the law and sin is the breaking of the law. God's told us this is what you need to do. We all understand this is what we need to do. And yet we don't do it. Every sin, in some way, violates this principle and this law. And the Bible very clearly teaches us that we, human beings, are all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to highlight three sins in particular that are root sins as we talk about this failure to keep the golden rule. The first is pride. Pride. Pride is the reason we don't keep the golden rule. Pride is the opposite of humility. And being the opposite of humility, pride refuses to see the other side of the equation. Pride refuses to empathize. It refuses to yield or to sacrifice for the sake of others. Pride puffs us up. We're all full of yourself. And being proud causes blindness. In our arrogance of pride, we minimize our own faults and we maximize and we dwell on the faults of others. We dwell on how they've offended us. Our pride is offended. And we look at ourselves and we think, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm a, I'm a good guy. Yeah, I'm full of myself. I got it together. I'm a nice guy. Can you imagine? Can you, can you believe what he did to me? I'm a nice guy. Look what he did to me. Now this blindness can result in a serious case of false reading of reality. When we, when we are focused on ourselves, we don't, we don't 
focus then, we don't see what's going on outside of us. A proud man or woman believes that they actually can achieve the righteousness required by the law of God. A proud man or woman thinks that they can do it. They say to themselves, oh, treat others like I want to be treated? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. That's, not, that's pretty basic. I, I mean, I don't, I don't require that much of other people. So I can, I can do that. I, I, in fact, I do do that. I'm a good person. I am a good person. A good person. But when we tell ourselves that we are good people because of our own good deeds, we are lying to ourselves, and it flies in the face of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus opens the, the Sermon on the Mount with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. In fact, all through the sermon, Jesus has been pounding in us that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, according to the righteousness that is in the law, like Paul, they looked pretty good. They had it all together. But it wasn't good enough. Remember, lust breaks the seventh commandment. Just simply looking at a woman to lust death. They were breaking a commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken it. Just being angry is breaking the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, don't swear at all. Don't swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And finally, he says, love your enemies. This goes against our grain. We, we are not wired that way. Jesus' standard for righteousness is unattainable. We cannot tell ourselves, I'm a good person. Not and be honest with the scriptures. Because when we, when we look at the scriptures, the mirror of the scriptures, and we look at the reflection that we see, when we see ourselves through God's eyes, it's not pretty. The second sin I want to bring up is selfishness. Now, of course, this is not unrelated to pride. It goes hand in hand with pride. Pride is the fountainhead of pretty much all sin. But selfishness. And the issue with selfishness is very obvious when it comes to this principle of reciprocity. Jesus says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Selfishness says... No. No, I, I want it myself. I want to keep it for mine. Selfishness puts our own interests before the interests of others. And none of us like it when other people do it to us. Nevertheless, I put it here because we are selfish. We are stubborn and we are willing to put other people at disadvantage for our own comfort, our own preference, and our own desires. We're selfish. Every one of us is capable and culpable for this sin. We see a need and we make a choice not to meet it. Because it's inconvenient. Because it's hard. 
Because it's expensive. It's difficult. Or we'll hoard and guard and grasp what God has given to us to invest and to share. We're selfish. That's the problem. The third sin I wanted to bring up is ignorance. There's a kind of ignorance that is not sin. It's just simply, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know the answer to that. I, I, that's a kind of ignorance, and that's not necessarily a sin. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about culpable ignorance. Guilty ignorance here. And what that means is that culpable ignorance is ignorance that is the result of not thinking it through. It's ignorance that's, that's the result of not stopping and just looking outside of yourself. It's opposed, and that kind of ignorance is opposed to just not knowing the answer. Now we call this kind of ignorance by names like racism. Or classism. Or sexism. It's a kind of ignorance that is cultural and usually inherited from our sinful communities. This kind of ignorance considers its, itself better than others because it doesn't value life or define the value of life by God's definitions. It doesn't go to God's word first to make these calls. It just accepts the status quo and creates division and hurt and anger and it breaks the golden rule. So we are all sinners and we all fail to keep the golden rule. But now I want to talk a little bit about the Christian distinctives in relation to the golden rule. What is exclusive about the Christian perspective on this truth? If, as I mentioned earlier, this is such a widely praised principle, since this principle is so universally accepted, on what basis do we reject the answers of other ethical systems, whether they be religions or philosophies? Why do we say no to their answers to the problem? Why can't we all just see everything the same way? Why can't we all just get along? Or another way to put it, what is different and better about Jesus' take on the golden rule than the rest of the takes? The exclusivity of the Christian perspective on, on this is found in our insistence that keeping the law is only possible one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, because He is the way. And we insist that without Jesus Christ, you cannot fulfill the law. That's the Christian. If you are a faithful Christian, you will declare that. That's part of your witness: is that without Jesus Christ, you cannot keep the law. And, this is, and the reason why that is the case is because every other ethic 
medical system fails to deal with sin satisfactorily. It fails to deal with it. According to the scriptures and according to empirical evidence, the world is broken and sin is breaking it. So unless we deal with sin, ultimately and totally and completely, unless we deal with mankind who has broken God's perfect law and a perfect and holy and just God, we have no answer to our problem. The answers of all the other systems get a big NGE, not good enough. It doesn't do it. It's not good enough. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, what it amount, their answer, what it amounts to is be a good person and try harder. That's their answer. Christian says, it will never be good enough. It will never be good enough. Eastern religions, their answer has something like goes something like this. Nothing matters because matter is nothing. Sin is a mirage, and you get to keep trying and trying until you get it right. Not good enough. You'll never get it right. Even if you're reincarnated a million times, you'll never be good enough. Sin will still be here. You're still broken. Secular humanitarianism. Well, they've, they've made us come from the apes. And therefore, there is no ultimate justice because we only live here and then we die. So that means that the answer is just a temporary problem because once you're dead, you're gone. And the answer is education. We just don't know. And they're wrong because you'll never educate away sin. Ever. All false ethical systems ultimately rely on some sort of works-based salvation or some form of try harder, be better. Try harder, be better. And then we'll all just, everything will be good. But the Bible clearly teaches that we can't keep the law. We can't do it. No one except Jesus ever has and no one ever will. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches that we are all sinners prone by nature to hate God and our neighbors. And this is consistent with what we read in the scriptures. In Romans 3, we read, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Straight from the Bible. 1 John 1, verse 8 and verse 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There goes to the wayside, well, I'm, I'm a good person. After the flood, Jesus, I mean, after the flood, God says this, when, when, when Noah is sacrificing to him, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma, then the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground for a man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. We are, by nature, sinners. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And finally, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The only possible way that we can keep the law is by having a new nature. We need new hearts. We need hearts of flesh. God needs to take out the heart of stone. And that's what God does in the covenant. That's what God does in His new covenant. That's what God does in Jesus Christ. And He's the only way that that happens. But God does it. He's a merciful God. He loves to do it. So we have our problems. And the world doesn't have the answers. But God does. What is the answer? Jesus gives us a hint in his other summary of the law. So this is one summary of the law, the golden rule. But there's another summary of the law in Matthew 22. What Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's the answer. You want, you want to go into the kingdom of heaven? You do that. You obey that law. And what we find here is that we are a worshiping people. That's homo adorans. It's Latin. Man is scientifically called homo sapiens. That means wise man. But the, the, the man that God created is homo adorans, worshiping man. What's the first commandment, the great commandment that God tells us to do? Love him with all of our being. Worship him. We are created to worship and the great commandment precedes the second commandment for a good reason. The second commandment sounds just like the golden, golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. But we have to have the great commandment first. Because unless we are rightly oriented to God, we cannot love our neighbor. Because we can't define what love is. Because God has to do that first. So unless we have faith in Him, and in His Gospel, and in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we are completely dead in the water. We need the faith that prays. We need the faith that fasts and that does good works in secret. We need the faith that, that, that pursues the reward that God gives. We need faith that asks and that trusts and does not worry and sees spiritual wealth and that is willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the kind of faith that we need. We need to worship our God. 
The Christian ethic of the golden rule boils down to altruistic, proactive action. That's a mouthful. Altruistic. That's noble. That's that's unselfish. It's self-sacrificing. Altruistic action. Self-sacrifice. Noble. Proactive means getting out there and doing it. You, you, you don't just sit back and wait. You don't react. No, you love. What, what does altruistic, proact, altruistic proactive action mean? It means that we must go beyond, we must reach out, we must sacrifice, and we must do. Be active. Loving your enemies blows be kind to those who are kind to you out of the water. There's no comparison there. I mean, Jesus says, look, the tax collector does that. They love those who love them. No, love your enemies. This means that the golden rule is better than the silver rule. The silver rule says, well, don't be bad to people because you don't like it when they're bad to you. But you can, you can do the silver rule by just doing nothing. You don't need to do anything. And you've not done something to someone that you wouldn't like done to you. The golden rule is more than that. And the golden rule is better than the platinum rule. So maybe there's a, a naming problem there. Why is that? The platinum rule says, don't do unto others as they want you to do unto them. Here's the problem with that. They're sinners too. What do they want? Well, maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they don't want the right thing. Our job in fulfilling the golden rule is to bear witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Which means we do what he tells us to do and not what other people want us to do. We listen to Jesus. Christianity is radical. I mean, it's, it's groundbreaking. We were evil, we were sinners, but then God became a man so that we could become like him. And that's groundbreaking. It changes the story. It changes the narrative. Jesus establishes his kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, and it just goes out to take over the world. It's that small stone of Daniel. So finally, the Christian application of the golden rule is summed up in one word. Love. That's it. That's the great commandment. Love. It's the second commandment. Love. It's the fulfillment of the golden rule. It's love. Love God with everything you have. And then love your neighbor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. taught us the golden rule and then he showed us what it was he didn't just blow empty words at us he actually loved us 
He gave himself for us. He paid our debt for us. He satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. And he drew us into himself and he continues to give us all things that we need. God's love is manifested for us in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way that men can be forgiven their sins or put right with God outside of Jesus. So we come to him, humbled by our sin, awed by his grace, and hungry for his life. And God comes to us, freely offering his forgiveness, and binding us to Jesus and to each other in word and sacrament. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.